John chapter number 20. John chapter number 20. Come on up a few rows, Destiny. That's not the front half. I'm picking on you. All right, good. Scoot up for us, folks. Scoot, scoot on up here. Be cozy. I showered this morning. I put on deodorant. I even had. A, I even just did a breath mint a couple minutes ago. So I promise I don't stink. I promise. All right. John chapter number twenty. Let's look at the first five verses to open. We're going verse by verse through the Bible here. This is a really fun passage. We, we looked at the death of Jesus last week as he, we saw him on the cross there uh, today. And that's the saddest, probably the saddest story in the Bible. This is the happiest story in the Bible. We're going to look at his resurrection. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. John 20, first five verses here. The Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went Forth and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre, that other disciple being John. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. John had to get that in there, that he outran Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. This is a great passage of Scripture. We're going to look tonight at this title, When Jesus calls your name. Let's pray tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible. It's so rich. And as Brother Syrette just said a few minutes ago, it's inexhaustible. And Lord, it's uh, truly a joy to get to study the pages of Scripture that have for us the words of life. We're going to look at, uh, Lord, tonight you know, the story where you beat death and, uh, Lord, bought eternal life to give to us. You took away our sin and your death. And, Lord, you... Uh, Earned, earned the gift of eternal life by coming back to life. If you were, as Paul said, dead and in the grave, you wouldn't be able to do anything for us. But, Lord, our, our salvation is not in vain. We have salvation because you're alive. And, Lord, you're not just alive, you're personal. As we'll see here tonight, you personally interacted with people you carried very much for. Help us, Lord, to, to glean those things that you want for each person to have out of the pages of the Bible tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Have you ever had your hopes up really high for something only to be faced with a different, harsh reality? Uh, we all have been there at some point or another. Where we really wanted something, we really had our hopes up high for something, and then it just didn't work out. Sometimes it's about a trip. Or a vacation. Parents tell their kids, after dad gets home from work tonight, we're going out to a restaurant. Only to get a call and find out that dad has been held up at work and we're not going out to the restaurant. And the kids are all, they're just disappointed. And uh, that's happened. How about a summer vacation? You've been planning for 10 months. You're going to take that once 
in a lifetime vacation with your kids and go somewhere extra special and you save and save and save and plan and plan and plan. And then about two months before you're supposed to leave, your transmission goes out in your car. $5,000 later, there's no money to take a vacation and everybody's just disappointed and your plans get canceled. The vacation gets canceled. Maybe your hopes being dashed is a result of your own failure. I've seen people who are lazy at work. And then uh, an opportunity comes for someone to be promoted within the company. And uh, that person gets passed over. Why? Because they didn't put in the effort. They were late to work sometimes. Or they, didn't, um, uh, they were goofing off instead of bettering themselves on the job. And, and there's that disappointment of, I can't advance in my career because I myself have limited myself and what I can do. And, you know, the um, opportunity comes, you put your name in there to get that promotion or that raise, and, and they choose someone else who's outworked you. Maybe others have let you down. Sometimes dads and moms hold that new life in their arms, and they imagine what their child is going to become. They... They, they look at that little baby boy or girl and think, I'm going to raise this child up. And, and maybe they think this child's going to be the next president. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Amen. But next president of the United States or uh, going to be, uh, you know, um, uh, somebody who just helps shape the world in some positive, influential way. And then that child grows up and instead becomes a drug addict or uh, in some form, not to be unkind, but some form of... Uh, a rebel, or others will look at the child and say maybe a derelict, and you look at that child with heartbreak and hurt, like the prodigal's son's father. You imagine that dad every day, he went out on that porch and looked out to see if his son would be coming home that day, and I bet he and his wife cried a lot of tears. I bet they did. I bet their hopes were dashed, wondering, is this going to be the day? Even when the son did come home, the marks and the scars of bad decision-making and the baggage they had to deal with with him for the rest of their lives, if not the rest of his life, and uh, just uh, all that hope you have when that child's little, and then where does that go? I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of moms and dads that even go to this church, and they, they probably sometimes cry themselves to sleep over their kids, and my heart hurts for you if that's the case. Uh, Our hopes can be dashed. For Jesus' disciples, they had grown up under Roman oppression. Uh, All the talk by their people was, one day a Messiah is coming, and He's going to deliver us from Roman rule. One day a a Messiah is coming, He's going to deliver us from Roman rule. Messiah, 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 Messiah. That word was heard countless times by each child as they grew up in this Jewish world. And one day Jesus came on the scene and he recruited to himself a group of ragtag disciples, uh, fishermen and tax collectors and other outcasts that he brought in to follow him. And he began to teach them and shape them and You know what they believed? They believed that at some point he was going to become a political revolutionary. You remember when uh, he uh, 
He said that he was going to die, and Peter rebuked him for saying that. And Jesus had to pull Peter to the side and say, Get thee behind me, Satan. That's what Peter wanted for Jesus. He wanted, he wanted Jesus to become a political revolutionary that would overthrow Roman rule. He would take over and establish Jewish sovereignty and Jewish supremacy. And all of these disciples would be put there to help him lead this new kingdom. And then their hopes were dashed. Because instead of him becoming king of the world, he was arrested, he was beaten And he was crucified. They were left with their hopes dashed. They were were left bewildered and dazed. Life has a way of letting us down. But Jesus comes along and he breathes new life. He breathes abundant life. We're going to look at the story here in John 20. Really... There's three stories here in John 20. Jesus rose from the dead and he was very busy, very busy encouraging um, and lifting up those who were despondent. Now, this week in preparation for this, and, and I didn't bring all this with me tonight to the Bible story, but I would encourage you to do this. You have the resurrection account in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one offers a little bit more detail And when you put them all together and you can compile everywhere Jesus went and with whom he spoke and what the series of events were, what the chronological timeline was, it was fascinating. In fact, some of it goes on and continues into Acts and in 1 Corinthians telling us that the Lord would meet with Peter by himself and would meet with James by himself and on and on and on it goes. But John gives us just a small sampling of what Jesus did that day. We're going verse by verse through the Gospel of John. And so let's see uh, who Jesus interacted with uh, here in John 20 and how that helped encourage them. All right, let's begin by looking at Mary Magdalene. Number one, notice Mary's despair. Mary's despair. Letter A, notice her perplexity. She was perplexed. She was dazed. She was confused. In fact, if you go to the books of Matthew and Luke, you can see that Mary was going to the tomb there uh, with a whole host of women. They were going to prepare the body of Jesus post-burial. And here they are walking down the road uh, to the tomb there, the garden tomb. And lo and behold, they get within eye shot of that tomb and the stone is rolled away. They get a little bit closer and they're able to look inside and see that the body isn't there. The other lady stuck around to talk to the angels, but not Mary Magdalene. In fact, she didn't even make it very close. She saw the body wasn't there from a distance and she took off running. Look at verse number one. The Bible says the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher and see if the stone taken away from the sepulcher. So she got close enough to see 
the stone was gone. Her mind raced and jumped to some conclusions. Verse 2, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, again John, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid Him. Mary was not one to stick around and uh, do some investigating and get the facts. She acted on emotion. She saw the stone rolled away and uh, the other ladies stuck around to talk to the angels, but not her. She was out of there. She was left perplexed. She was confused. She was convinced someone had stolen the body of Jesus and they were playing a mean and cruel uh, trick on the disciples. It wasn't enough for you to beat him and hang him on the cross and brutally murder him. Now you have to toy with us. Now you have to take his body. Now you have to hide him on us. You all are being unkind and nasty. We see her perplexity. Let her be. We see not only her perplexity, but we see her pain. Her pain. Look down at verse number 11. We see that uh, Mary is going to make her way from the disciples and back to the garden tomb. And now the women have spoken with the angels and they, the other Marys and um, have come and spoken with angels and they're going to go talk to the disciples. Peter and John have heard the message from Mary Magdalene. They've sprinted to the tomb and, and come back. And now Mary is there again. And look at verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. So you can see her tears are filled with eyes. She's sobbing. She's beside herself. She's uh, walked up carefully to the sepulcher. She's knelt down to look inside. What does she see? Verse 12, And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said, they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will... Take him away. She is so dazed. She is so confused. She's so upset that Jesus is standing right there and she doesn't even realize it's him. She has spoken with angels. Do you know how many few people have actually spoken face-to-face with an angel as it appeared as an angel. Uh, You have an angel in white sitting at the head, an angel in white sitting at the feet. She's crying. Uh, What's going on here? She's talking to angels and doesn't realize it. She's talking to uh, uh, Jesus and doesn't realize it. Why? Because she's in so much pain. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you were so emotionally hurt that uh, what was logical to everyone else just did not make any sense to you? That's where Mary was. Uh, I've had times in my life where I've just been so upset and bothered that I've had somebody try to talk truth into me, talk sense into me, and 
I just couldn't see it. I couldn't understand it. And, and I've had times where I've sat with people in my office or sat with my family and tried to help someone see it. What's funny is when I'm talking to someone who's just convinced that everything's wrong and you, you try to tell them why it's not and they tell you why it is. And then you tell them, no, well, that's wrong because of this. And they come up with something else. And finally, I just throw my hands up and say, when you're done pouting, come back and talk to me. I'll help you. All right. And that's kind of where Mary was right here is the angels can't convince her. And even up to this point, Jesus can't convince her. It's going to be okay, Mary. We see what we see here, her despair. When we're in despair, we don't make good decisions. A good rule of thumb is that you don't make any big life-changing decisions while you're in a time of despair. The best thing you can do when you're going through a hard time is just stay right where you are and pray. Now, once you get your head back about you, then you can make a, a, a good decision. We see her, her perplexity. We see her pain. Let her see. We see her peace. The backstory to Mary Magdalene, well, we'll look at that here in just a moment. Um, look with me at, actually, turn over to Luke chapter 8, verse 2. Luke chapter 8, turn over there. Luke chapter 8, verse 2. The backstory here of Mary Magdalene is that she had been wrapped up in some very ugly things. And there's some supposing that goes on by people who study the Bible. Some have suggested that maybe she was wrapped up in harlotry. I can't find anywhere in the Bible that directly says that. Maybe I'm just missing it, but I've done some studies on Mary Magdalene. I can't find a passage that says that. I think that that's sensationalized, but we do know that she was wrapped up in the occult for sure. Look at Luke 8, look at verse 2. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. This woman had been possessed by seven devils. At some point, the Lord Jesus came into her life and he healed her. He cast out these demons. He called her name and he saved her. Aren't you thankful for the day the Lord called your name and he saved you? you know, maybe you didn't have seven demons in you like Mary. But you know what? You were wrapped up in sin. And the Lord called your name and he saved you. And Mary was very loyal to Jesus. In fact, at one, po one point, Mary Magdalene is washing the feet of Jesus with her tears in her hair. That, that's the loyalty she had to this man who had just changed her life. Then we see her back in the garden tomb. She's weeping. She thinks the body of Jesus has been stolen. She doesn't understand that he's risen from the dead. Verse 15, we see that he says, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposes he's the gardener. Look at verse 16. John 20, verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, what's he saying unto her? Mary. He calls her name. I don't think he just said Mary. I think it was the way he said Mary. I think he said her name maybe the same way he did the day he cast those demons out of her. I think he said her name just the same way he had said her name when... Uh, she was frightful and afraid throughout his three and a half years of ministry. I think it was the way he said her name. I think of John 10 where 
The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Right? She knew his voice. And when he said her name, boy, that changed everything. Look, look back at verse 16. Then saith Jesus and her Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master, Master. She realized finally through the tears, through the sobbing, she realized this is my Savior. He is alive. He is alive. Look at verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascended to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples uh, that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. And so he tells her, you can't touch me yet. I've not yet ascended to my Father. You can't touch me yet. But I want you to know that I love you and it's all going to be okay. Now, I love this because uh, when, a little later we're going to see Thomas interact with Jesus. And he's going to say, touch me. He's going to tell Thomas to touch him. But Mary couldn't touch him. because Somewhere between him seeing Mary and him seeing Thomas, he did ascend up to, the, up to his Father. What did he do? He took his own blood into the temple there in heaven. He sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat and opened up heaven for all of us to be able to go. But prior to even going and doing that, he knew this woman, Mary, who he loved so much and loved him, he knew that she was in such, uh, uh, she was so distraught and she was so hurt that she needed her Savior. And he came to her rescue to call her name and help her. And I want to say tonight that when you are in the lowest of lows and you're hurting, that Jesus loves you. I think about the story of Lazarus. Lazarus dying. There Jesus is with Mary and Martha. And he knows Lazarus is about to live. But what does it say about Jesus? It says he saw her sorrow and he wept. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. He didn't weep for himself. He didn't weep for Lazarus. He wept for Mary. When you are hurting, God already knows how your story is going to end. He knows that joy is just around the corner. He knows the storm clouds are going to go away and the sun's going to come up. He knows that this time of sorrow is just that. It's a season. But yet, while you're going through it, He weeps with you. Number one, we see Mary's despair. Number two, we see Peter and John's discovery. Peter and John's discovery. So, the first moment here, Peter and John are hiding, and years ago I put a sermon together, I don't know how doctrinally accurate it was, but it was fun to put it together, about um, uh, how the Lord may have been disappointed, he wasn't disappointed, but how the Lord may have been disappointed when he came out of the grave. You know, Jesus had told his disciples over and over and over and over and over again, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again. You know what um, I would have wanted if I was Jesus? I would have wanted a welcoming committee when I came out of the grave. Ha ha! He's here! Didn't he say that just like Jonah was in the belly of the well three days, so must the Son of Man be? Uh, if they would have just been listening, they would have known on Sunday morning, he's coming out of that grave. They could have been there to see it, but they weren't. Where were they? They were in hiding, afraid of the Jews. The Jews were going to kill them. Look, at, um, look with me here at uh, letter A. We see an empty tomb. So, uh, verse number 3. Go back to John 20. Verse number 3, Peter therefore went. So Mary Magdalene comes and says, they've stolen his body. Verse 3, Peter therefore went uh, forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. 
the other disciple did outrun Peter. I'm faster than you, Peter. Uh, and came first to the sepulcher. So he gets there first. John gets there first, but does he go in? No, he's, he's too timid to go in. Peter wasn't timid, all right? So John's catching his breath. He's got his hand there on the outside of the sepulcher, maybe. He's looking in, and, and he, he's not going. And Peter finally catches up. What does Peter do? He walks right into the tomb. He just walks right past John. Look at verse 5. And he's stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. So, um, uh, let's see, letter A Notice with me there an empty tomb. The tomb was empty. You know what that means? Jesus had come back to life. Amen? He, he, he wasn't there anymore. You know what's great about that is that uh, of all of the people on planet earth to die, none of them, none of them have ever raised themselves back to life. None of them. You can get in a plane right now and fly over to the other side of the world and you can see where Muhammad is buried. And you know what? Where they put him, his bones are still there. And you can go find where they buried Confucius and you can find where they buried Buddha. But if you go look where they buried Jesus, that tomb is empty. He's alive. And you know what? That means that we are serving the right God. Uh, it's funny, all the other religions of the world that existed before Jesus came around, after Jesus was born, lived, died, rose again, all of them altered their religions to include Jesus in some fashion. All the religions of the world that have come into existence since Jesus lived have all included Jesus in their religion, but Jesus did not include any of them in His religion. Because He is truth. The tomb is empty. Peter and John came to that tomb and they found it empty. Let me make this clear. God raised Himself up from the dead. Lazarus needed Jesus to raise him from the dead. Jairus' daughter needed Jesus to raise him from the dead. There was that caravan of that widowed woman whose child had died. Jesus stopped that caravan and uh, raised that child from the dead. But make no mistake about it, Jesus raised Himself from the dead. An empty tomb. Letter B, we see an orderly tomb. An orderly tomb. Look down at verse number 6. Then cometh Simon Peter, followed him, and went into the sepulcher. I love this. And seeth the linen clothes lie. So what they had wrapped him in, still there. He wasn't there, but the linen clothes were. Verse 7. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying uh, with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. You see here, Jesus folded His clothes before He left the tomb. You know what uh, spiritual, great spiritual truth I draw out of these verses? Here it is. Make your bed and fold your clothes. Amen? You say, Pastor, that's not what that says. Then you... Deep dive, in the deep, dive deep in the Greek and you tell me what it means. That's exactly what it means. Let me give you a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As, is, as in all churches of the saints, verse 40 of that same chapter, let all things be done decently and in order. You know what? Jesus was so orderly that He folded His linen clothes before He left the tomb. How about Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do with all thy might. Imagine if Peter and John had walked up to the tomb 
and walked into the tomb, and there had been the bedclothes of Jesus, the, the, the tomb clothes of Jesus, and there were just a mess all over the floor. And, and, and they, they, they weren't orderly. You know what? That wouldn't have gone well in Scripture, would have it? No, Jesus took time to leave things the way they ought to be. You know, when you use a Sunday school room, you should clean it before you leave. You, you, you're here in the property, and you're doing something for the Lord. Thank you. I tell, um, you know, I've had a, a person here. They will stay nameless. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I've had a person here over the last eight years who um, can get pretty worked up when the building is left a wreck. Doesn't like the building being left messy. And this person has said to me, I'm not even going to tell you the gender of the person. This person has said to me, uh, can't we teach people to clean up after themselves? And I quote this verse, where there are no oxen, the crib is clean. Amen. Uh, we have a lot of people here. we got a lot going on and sometimes things get left messy. But you know what? That ought not be true about you. You ought to leave things better than you found them. Amen. I used to tell our teenagers uh, in, um, you know, when, I, when I was an athletic director in, uh, back in Maryland, uh, we'd take the kids on an away game. We'd go into a McDonald's and we'd pray for the food before we went in. And I'd say, pray again at your table so everyone can see you being a good testimony. And then I'd say this, you leave that table cleaner than you found it. You leave that table, and what? Our kids did that for the most part. You, that restaurant ought to be glad that there was a bus that pulled on their parking lot. You know, Christians, I, I know that this isn't the deepest doctrinal thing I'm ever going to share. But what if Christians all over America left things better than they found it? Don't you think that'd do well for the name of Christ? An orderly tomb. You say, well, where does it begin? It starts by making your bed. Make your bed. Amen? I'm preaching to myself on this one. Put your clothes away. Amen? Don't leave them laying all over the bathroom floor or the bedroom floor or wherever. Put your clothes away. An orderly tomb. Letter C. Notice a mighty tomb. A mighty tomb. I love verses 8 and 9. Look here. It was like the scales fell off of John's eyes. Then went in also that other disciple. So Peter rushed past him. John won the race to the tomb, uh, waited on the outside. Peter went in first. John came in behind him. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher. And he saw, what's, what are those next two words? And believed. He saw and believed. Verse 9, for as yet... They knew not the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. Or maybe they just weren't listening when Jesus gave the Scripture. Or maybe there were just uh, scales over their eyes. I've been saying lately that we have a narrative and then we only hear the facts that back the narrative, right? John and Peter had a narrative about who they wanted Jesus to be. They ignored what came out of Jesus' mouth that didn't back that narrative. And then after they put it all together that Jesus was going to die and raise from the dead, not to bring about a physical kingdom, but to usher in a, an eternal kingdom or a spiritual kingdom, then, oh, okay, now we understand what he was saying. But here, Peter saw, or John saw, and the Bible says that this was the moment that John believed that he was alive. You see, there's still all this going on around. Did they steal his body? What's going on here? We know that the Roman guards would be paid off 
uh, to keep their mouth shut and be told that uh, his body was stolen. But, uh, but Jesus was alive and uh, John saw the empty tomb. The angels weren't there uh, from what we can tell. But John saw the empty tomb. He saw the orderly way in which things were left. And that was the moment that John believed. A mighty tomb. Number three. Number three. We see Thomas's doubt. Thomas's doubt. Now we talked about Rahab on Sunday night, and I feel bad for Rahab. I, I hope when we get to heaven, we don't call her Rahab the harlot anymore. The Bible refers to her that way in multiple places, right? And get to heaven, and Rahab said, "Will you stop calling me that? I'm redeemed, amen. I'm I'm not a harlot anymore. Quit, just call me Rahab." And uh, Thomas kind of gets a bad rap. Everyone knows him as what? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. You know, Thomas, it's, uh, history tells us that Thomas died a martyr's death in India. So whatever doubt he had went away. And he went and started churches in India that being killed for his faith didn't back down. And we get to heaven, Thomas is going to say, stop calling me Doubting Thomas. I had a, one bad season of life and you guys are attaching that to my name. Aren't you glad that in your lowest moment people don't remember you by that, nickname you by that, right? Can you see that? There's, uh, there's angry Steve, right? And there's there's uh, there's jealous uh, there's uh, I don't I don't want to pick a name anyone that goes to this church here okay but there's jealous fill in the blank right uh, jealous Pat now I'm <laughs> that's what you get for sitting in the back Pat uh, uh, to, uh, pick the, pick that worst attribute of your life and have that attached to your name but here we do see that Thomas was doubting letter A we see his absence look down at verse number nineteen. Verse number 19 of John chapter 20. All right. The Bible says that then the same day at evening, the same day Jesus rose from the dead, this is going to be Sunday evening, the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, or they're in hiding, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now imagine that. Let's just tell you, let's not rush past this verse. You have the doors dead bolted. You've added locks. And I know I'm adding to the verse a little bit here, but they're shut in for fear of the Jews. So we know that they had that door shut, possibly dead bolted, possibly barricaded. All right? Ain't nobody coming in here. And lo and behold, Boom! Jesus is standing in the middle of the room. Can you imagine both the the initial fright and then the the joy and elation, and then the question: How did you get in here? If I can raise from the dead, I can come in the room any way I want, right? Uh, but there he was, and the very first words out of his mouth were, "Peace be unto you." Verse twenty. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. What a thing, right? Look, look at my hands. Look at the nail prints. Look at my side. This is where they ran the spear in. 21, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. There's the great commission in the book of John. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So Jesus shows up and all of the disciples are there except Thomas. 
Thomas is absent. Thomas is not where he's supposed to be. I put down some other examples in scriptures of people who were in the wrong place at the wrong time and it cost them. David was at home when he should have been at war. And as a result, he ended up on his rooftop late at night and then ended up impregnating Bathsheba and and then trying to cover that up by killing her husband Uriah, bringing death on his newborn son and then division in his family. Why? Because David wasn't where he was supposed to be. How about Peter? Maybe a little less consequential, but Peter's warming his hands over that coal fire. Right? While Jesus is at trial, instead of being by Jesus' side, he's out there with the wrong crowd. And what's he end up doing? He ends up denying Jesus three times. Why? Because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. When we are in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people, we can make a total disaster of our lives. And here Thomas is absent. Jesus is there, but he's not. And this is going to end up creating his doubt. Let me say to you this evening, before we move on to B and C, make sure you are where you're supposed to be. Do you know that there are times where we're not where we're supposed to be and a message is given from God's Word? We needed that message We don't get that message. And now all of a sudden, we're walking in doubt in our lives. Maybe we skip a day in our Bible reading. And that day, the passage we would have read would have helped prepare us for something that was going to happen that day. But because we weren't in the Word, and we weren't on our knees in prayer, and we weren't asking God for our daily provision of wisdom, we didn't have it, we got into our day, all of a sudden we're walking in doubt because we're not walking in faith. Letter B, we see his apprehension. Look at verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails. Boy, if you'd have been there, you'd have seen it. And put my finger. I can't just see it. I've got to touch it. Put my finger into the print of the nails. And thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. You didn't know it. He was from Missouri. The show me state. He had to see it to believe it, didn't he? Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Listen to this. The evidence of things... Not seen. Not seen. If you need to see it to believe it, you're not walking by faith. You're walking by sight. How many of you believe that wind exists? Raise your hand if you believe that wind exists. If you don't have, raise your hand, then I don't know what's wrong with you, okay? If you believe wind exists. How many of you here have ever seen wind? If you raise your hand right now, well, you... You know, you've not seen wind, but you've seen the evidences of wind. You've seen wheat leaves whip across a yard. You've seen snow come blowing off a rooftop, right? You've, you've been in a car that's had the wind hit it and kind of move you over a little bit, right? You've, you've, you've felt 
the effects of wind, but you've not seen wind. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is watching an alcoholic for five decades come into our church and get saved and not take another sip of alcohol. Faith is watching a marriage that's broken and divorced and those people get saved and they put their marriage back together and they're back in love with each other. Faith is getting on your knees and praying for that adult child that's wayward and watching God bring that prodigal home. Faith isn't seen. How about verse 6 of Hebrews 11? But without faith it is impossible to please Him. You can't please God if you don't walk by faith. He said, I have to see it and I have to touch it or I won't believe it. Letter C, we see his adoration or his worship. Look down with me at verse 26. So God makes Thomas wait. Jesus makes Thomas wait eight days. Look at verse 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. And that's the message Jesus whispers. Not follow my rules or else. No, when we walk with Jesus, He gives us peace. Then saith He to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger. Behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. We see Thomas's adoration, his worship. Thomas answering and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. None of us have seen Jesus with our eyes, but if you believe in him, you're blessed because you didn't need to see with your eyes to believe. And Thomas worshipped the Lord, but boy, what God had to do to get him to worship. I, I see so many people, they are, they are so confident in themselves and they lack of confidence in the Lord. Um, do you understand how easy it is to be manipulated and fooled? If not, I encourage you to get online and watch a, a, a video of sleight of hand magic tricks. And you'll see how easy it is for someone to fool you. You think if someone can use an illusion, a magical illusion, it's just an illusion, magical illusion to, to fool you. You think maybe, you think maybe you could be manipulated. You think it'd, it'd be easy enough to manipulate you into believing the wrong thing. So many people are so confident that what they see is true. So much of what we think we see is just a false perception. We need to learn to not walk by sight. We need to learn to walk by faith. Now I want to look at the last two verses of the chapter. Because um, I want you to feel the same thing I felt studying my Bible. And we'll be done. I, I, look, I have a favorite verse of the Bible. Verse 30 might be my least favorite. I love all the verses of the Bible, including verse 30. But verse 30 might be my least favorite verse in the whole Bible. Alright, look at it. You'll see why in a minute. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. Why did He have to put that in the Bible? Right? You ever had somebody say, oh man, I had something great happen to me, but I'm not going to tell you. It's like, what you, then why did you say that? Why, why are you teasing me like that? John says he did all kinds of other stuff in this room that was incredible, but I'm not going to tell you what they were. Sorry. Sorry. That's only for us. John, why did you have to put that in the Bible? 
Amen. I literally got like, what was this when I was studying this uh, for this message? Look at verse 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing he might have life through his name. The whole purpose of the book of John is to give us the account of Jesus that shows us that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. What greater proof of it is there than the fact that he rose from the dead? There's seven miracles recorded in the book of John and only seven. The seventh miracle, seven being the number of God. I'm not a big numerology guy, but I do find this fascinating. The seventh miracle in the, in the gospel of John is Jesus raising himself from the dead. And uh, what a great thing that is. Amen. Jesus is God. He's the son of God. He is God. He raised himself from the dead. Blessed are those that believe, and we have this account that we may believe in Jesus alone. Amen. When Jesus calls your name, He's calling your name right now. If you've not gotten saved, trust in Him by faith and believe. If you have gotten saved and you're going through a hard time, He comforts you with your name just like He did Mary. Just go to Him in prayer. Amen. Let's stand together. That will conclude our Bible study. One more chapter. Next week we'll look at when Peter quit and the Lord restored him. Amen. Peter's there in the upper room. Peter's there at the tomb. Peter's pretty beat down and discouraged over his uh, failure there at the fire. And uh, God's going to help restore him in the next chapter. We'll finish out the book of John next week. Amen. Let's pray. We'll go forth and serve the Lord the rest of the week. Let's do all things decently in order and let's stay in love with our Savior. Brother Manny Lee, if you would please close us in prayer.